Before we get started with today's show, I'm here to tell you about Brez Coffee Company, made by gamers for gamers right here on the Gulf Coast in Pensacola, Florida. Do you like lighter medium roast? Then try the Necro Medium, Holy Grail Light, or Stamina Boost. Or if you're like me and prefer darker roast, try the Critical Dark or the Coup Slayer Mocha Roast. But what if you can't pick just one? Then try one of their specialty sample packs, perfect for an all-night gaming or in the case of my fellow filmmakers, an all-night editing session. Forget about all the crappy coffee you've been buying at the grocery store and head on over to brezcoffeeco.com. Use the promo code DDE at checkout to get 10% off your order. Have you ever thought to yourself after listening to this podcast, why didn't Derek ask this question? Or why didn't he ask that question? I know I certainly have. Well, you get the chance to do that if you sign up for my Patreon at patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. You get the chance to ask guests of the show a question. If you're a fan of the top five list, you get the chance to vote on what the topic will be. You also get early access to episodes, accessibility to my film scripts, and so much more. And you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And we want to thank our patrons, Tim Spivey and Shannon Williams. Thanks so much for your continued contributions. And now on with the show. Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and coming up on today's show, you'll be hearing my conversation with actor Courtney Gaines. And Courtney has been in the acting world for quite some time. Uh, He started in the early 80s, has starred in films such as Back to the Future, Children of the Corn, The Burbs, Sweet Home Alabama, which you might remember from the early 2000s. And his latest project, Queen Bees, which he's on the show to talk about all of those. Uh, it was great getting to pick his brain about especially how the industry has evolved since the 80s. Because it's, you know, with the addition of technology and now with Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, Plus, all the streaming services. It's great to hear his take on how the industry has changed throughout the years. So hopefully you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I had conducting it. And he gives some great advice for aspiring actors. So if you're currently an actor or if you're wanting to get into acting, this is one you definitely want to check out. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Courtney Gaines. Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. And this week, it is my pleasure to welcome actor Courtney Gaines to the show. Courtney, how are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. No, I, I was looking at your uh, your IMDb page before we started and was just looking at your impressive list of, of accolades and was really excited to, to chat with you when this opportunity came up. So thank you so much for taking the time. I always say it's good work when you can get it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So I wanted to start from the very beginning because you've been in the film industry a long time. Uh, yeah. What was it that initially made you want to become an actor and work in the film industry? I caught the bug when I was 10 years old. Uh, the first time I ever hit the stage in grammar school, uh, there was something I can't explain. It, it was like it, there was a nerves before I went on. And as soon as I stepped on the boards, there was this like place, like familiar feeling of calm that came over me. 
Uh, so I, I've known since then, that's what I wanted to do. And I was in LA, so that made it a little easier, certainly. And I uh, bugged my parents incessantly to get me in an acting class. And uh, I took this class that I did not like. It was uh, tap dancing and stuff like that. Because my mom came, my mom was in like the USO and all that entertaining troops. So she came from that kind of background, gave it all up in her first marriage. And so uh, I was not what I meant. You know, I meant like gritty acting. I was about to quit. And this guy stopped me on the street. His name is Virgil Fry. He's a working actor. He said, I like your son's look. Is he an actor? I got this class. And he says, my son's in an audition. And I'm like, okay, who's this guy? And then his son comes out. His son's named Sean Fry. In the 70s, he worked a lot. He worked. I, he was in the original film with Dick and Jane. I'd seen him in Movie of the Week. So I thought, well, his son's working. He's working. They must know what's going on. So I started taking his class. Long story short, I studied with a guy a decade. He was my mentor and my manager for a number of years and broke me into the business. It's interesting because you know, kind of going back to you being a child and knowing that was what you wanted to do, it's always oh. interesting hearing everyone's story of how they figure out that's what they want to do because it's such a unique environment that you know there's no real like by the book way to no, get into not. it. If you asked every producer how to produce, you'd get a different answer. If you asked every actor how they got in the business or what they should do, you'll get a different answer. Yeah, there is no, there is, because it's not that kind of, it's, not that kind of business, you know, it's not cookie cut out, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a strange business and why you get jobs sometimes is crazy. Why you don't get jobs sometimes is crazy. I learned a long time ago to stop listening to the feedback from casting directors because sometimes you could tell it was, had absolutely nothing to do with what happened when I was in that room. I stopped. Yeah, all I want to know is, did I get the job or didn't I get the job? The rest don't mean squat to me. Unless <laughs> <laughs> you know you've been doing it a long time. You just, you get like that. <laughs> well, it's like everything else you figure out after you know, did you get it or did you not? If you get it, it's like, well, I'll figure everything else out after that. I'm just so, saying so that so why you get jobs and why you don't sometimes can be incredibly random. You know, it's not necessarily that you were the best guy. And I mean, I've also produced and I've, you know, I've done readings and sometimes the best person doesn't get the job. It could be because somebody else has a bit of a better resume or somebody likes their look better. Or they think they can make more money with their name and touch, but that's not necessarily the best actor that walked in the room. You know, so there's a lot out of your control. All you can do is suit up and show up and let the rest fall, let the chips fall where they will. Yeah. And it's I've a quality I've always respected about actors since I started doing the show is that you get rejected so many times, but you just keep going for the next audition. If you don't get that, you go on to the next one. It's almost like a you have to have a short memory. When it it's, comes it's, to rejection, what people don't realize, as far as auditioning goes, is, it, is it's like it's like phone sales. You're going to get a lot of rejection. If if you're averaging one out of ten auditions, you're doing very well. So that's a that's a very low percentage. That's a ninety percent failure rate, and that's when it's going well. Right. So you have to not only you have a short memory, as it were, but I think you have to have an a, almost a certain level of arrogance and believability in yourself that they're 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 not getting it you know i'm good you're not getting it you know <laughs> i gotta keep showing up so somebody gets it you know and because uh, there are times you're, you know you've been in a business as long as i have there's gonna be times when you're hot and then there's gonna be times when you're not and in those lean times is when it really tests you could you could let that eat you alive if you're not sure about what you're doing so you have to and how you how you you know you're sure about what you're doing is you know you, you continue to study and you continue to work at your craft and you continue to go in there and know that you when you knock a room, you know, when you, when you go in there and you smoke a room and you know it, you know, 
And so you have to, you have to keep that, or you go to a piece of theater or something to keep you going so you can feel good about yourself when you get in those rooms. Exactly. And failure can be discouraging to a lot of people, but in a way is that's the best way you can learn. You know, I've learned even through doing this podcast, doing things wrong is some of the best ways you can learn how to do something right. The only way you learn. You know, my first, the first film I ever was involved in as a director producer was a short I did. And I made every single mistake you can make, you know, in film. I was like, it was like basically my film school. I mean, you know, I spent lots more, way more money than I should have shot on 16 millimeter, made every mistake you can make, you know, but that, but then the question is after you, you know, you take that beating, you know, do you, do you get back up? You know, I did a movie that Brett Michaels was the director, you know, singer from Poison. And, you know, he was very enthusiastic about making this movie. It was with him and Charlie, Charlie Sheen was in it. They were, they were partners in a production company. And what I learned from that guy is that he didn't know what he was getting into. And when he got into it and he realized that every day he'd be like, I'm taking a beating, Courtney, I'm taking a beating. But every day that guy showed up and every day that guy got better. And if you want to look about why that band succeeded, it's because that dude doesn't quit. I'm not going to lie. I had no idea that he's ever worked in film before. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, stepped into directing and and, uh, realized quickly enough that he was over his head, but, but, would acknowledge it i thought that's what was really telling and and then just show up to work every day and get better and i was like that's why this guy that's why the, you know that is you know there's talent and then there's perseverance and you know i think for to succeed you got to have both mm-hmm. for you know, sure I'm, I'm just built that way you know i just i just keep pounding my head against the wall until like it goes through and i don't think about climbing over or going around i'm going through <laughs> <laughs> Not no, always but, the smartest route, but you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, uh, I don't quit easy. I don't quit easy. But there is, that's the definite truth though, is you got to have that perseverance and persistence in order to get what you want. Because, And I, I know exactly what you mean because, you know, the first short that I directed a couple of years ago, you know, I, I had a great crew to help me, you know, plan everything, plan out the shot list, all, all that stuff. But when I stepped onto set, I felt like I was in over my head because once you get there, it's a very different experience. And it's, you can either let it consume you or, or not is really the best it's way. Funny, I don't know it. why we're bringing up musicians as much as I am all of a sudden. But another story is uh, I, I got to know uh, uh, Michael Gordon from, from Fish. It's a long story. He picked me up hitchhiking before they were big. And uh, he, he kept egging the band on to do a video and he didn't, they didn't really want to do one. But they, he finally talked him into it, and the label was, and he wanted to direct. You know, he actually had gone to film school, and I gave him, you know, a piece of advice. That he was like, "Dude, those are the best advice you ever gave me," because the suits are going to be there and over hawking over him, right? To make sure. I said, "Here's the thing, dude. As a director, you have to make a thousand decisions a day, literally a thousand decisions a day. You're not going to always make the right decision. All you need to show these suit dudes for the first hour is that you make decisions. When somebody comes up, and goes red or blue suit, blue." You know, you know, uh, you know, you know, you know, how high do you want the water? Oh, yeah, that high. <laughs> you know? And he said it worked. He said it was like that. He said he did that. And he said after an hour, they just backed off. And he was like, it was the best advice you ever gave me. And it's true. As a, as a director, everyone's looking to you to make a decision. That's why you're the director. As long as you know, you know, if you make a thousand decisions, you might make 25% of them wrong. But, you know. You'll, you'll figure it out, figure it out in post from there. You know, the worst decision is no decision. Exactly. That's well, that's when, then what happens is if you, 
as a direct, you know, the leader don't have leadership, people start filling the void with their opinions. And that's when the ship starts to sink, mm-hmm. you know, and I've seen it happen. I've been on, you know, plenty of movie sets where somebody didn't know what they were doing. And, and once the crew starts sniffing that, or even the actors, they start chiming in with their opinions and uh, everything, everybody, you know, everybody thinks they knows what, know, know what's best, you know? No, and I think that's very true in the sense that as the director, you have to, you know, not not to be a douchebag or anything, but you have to establish that you are the one making the decisions. And the more independent film it is, the more that's going to be tested. You know, yep. in union films, everybody really, you know, is like, this is my department, don't screw with it. You know, that's the sort of the attitude. So everybody's more, so it's sometimes to the point of too much. But the reason is, is because on an independent film, people will always, because they're wearing more hats than, you know, one anyway, people start to cross lines, you know, and uh, it, sometimes it's useful and sometimes it's anti-productive and it just really depends, you know, who's involved. I mean, I've seen first ADs with a director start, you know, take trying to take over, like they want to be the director. You know, and I've, I've called directors aside and said, you know, you need to stop that shit. Don't let that, that guy's not making this movie. You are, you know? Absolutely. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. But kind of segueing a little bit, because you had mentioned how long you've been in the industry. What are some of the changes that you've seen? So you've been in the industry since, I think, the 80s. Yeah, no, how, absolutely. How, have, how, have, how much of evolution or what kind of changes or notable changes have you well, seen? Well, I think the, the most obvious, obviously, is you know going from essentially analog to digital like everything else, right? When I started, it was actually film. And, you know film and people editing on nagras and things you know i mean I, I, on the film thing you know back and forth you know little clips you know of the, of the film very different mindset today you know it the, the filming component is cheap you know it's just a, can, a chip and a camera you know and uh so the the mindset's very different like when you were on a set back in the day it was like you had to keep quiet and pay attention because like you were burning film and film was money you know, so like everything was more focused and like get in, get out with takes. You just didn't keep running film. Like, do now they'll be, they'll, they'll just keep rolling when the director's telling you what he wants or whatever. It's like, it, it doesn't, it at least things looser or goosier and people talk more. And, and I don't like it. I like, I like a focused set. You know what I mean? When I, when I'm on set, I want to, I want it to get quiet. You know, I have a job to do. I, I have to concentrate, right? I have to do, you know, juggle these balls and make something happen. And I'm already trying to block your asses all out anyway, right? Like, I, I, you're not supposed to be there. So I don't need to be hearing you in my ear. You know what I mean? Um, but it's it, the reverence for all that is is gotten lost. And that, of course, sounds like an old school guy because I am, you know? But it, it but it's it's there, you know? It's gotten loosier, goosier because... And you, cause, so that's like the main number one thing. I think from a financial component, I think things changed dramatically in the 90s. In the 80s, when I was working, and granted, that was like on a trajectory work-wise too, like you would do a film and it was going to get a theatrical release. And then it started, then the whole VOD thing started in the 90s and the whole foreign thing started and that changed a lot. You would pretty much be offered like, well, what is, what's your quote? And people would like be moving that up. In the 90s, once like CAA and, and, and stuff got involved in the foreign market and they, they started taking the, 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 the majority of the budget for their stars and, and actors started getting offered scale. And so that was a real, it was, if you were not the star, you were pretty much being told, take it or leave it, you know? And that was tough after you spend, you know, a, a group, a, a, a chunk of time building, building yourself up to sort of pull the rug out. 
So it's for, for, and I think it's even gotten worse. I think, I think for actors coming up today, a character actor such as myself, I think it's even harder to make a living. Um, I think that, uh, you know, used in the nineties, I was getting guest stars pretty easily and you would get a, you know, a week's worth of work because the guest stars were kind of important nowadays. It's, it's pretty much like one day guest stars. So you're, so you, you go in and you'll, I, I, I did an episode of bones and, uh, I walked in and in that room, every dude had a resume a page long, every dude. And I basically could have walked in, closed their eyes and pinned the channel of donkey on any of us. And we could have done that one day guest star in our sleep. I ended up getting the job, but the level of competition to just get one day was, that's not how it was before. So it's like, it's, it's that much harder to get work. And, um, I feel like this next generation, they're going to have to have a side hustle. I do. I think, I think residual income isn't what it was. Um, I think that uh, with the, with the, you know, the Hulus and the, and the Amazons and all that, they're not telling you being transparent about the numbers of eyeballs they get or they don't get. So the residual income is, you know, sketchy and they're trying to get rid of residual income altogether. And I don't feel like our union's really fighting for it. If actors on my level do not get residual income, like, you know, like every time Sweetham, Alabama plays on TV, every time Back to the Future plays on TV, thank God those two do, you know, when it's slow, that's the check that comes in and pays my bills. So if that goes away, then there are going to be actors who are just not going to be able to make a living. That's, uh, you know, you got me on a little bit of a rant here, but that's, that's, those are the changes I've seen. Yeah, no, and do you think that, because I, something I've talked about also on the show is that, you know, with kind of the the rise or the more relevancy of indie film with you know the rise of like Netflix, Hulu, and other you know, streaming services where you see them making their own original content. Do you yeah. think that also contributes to it being harder to land jobs? Well, the flip side is there's more work, right? Yeah. The flip side is there's more work. So, you know, when I started, there was three networks, right? But mm-hmm. so, so there is more work, but I think there's also more people. <laughs> so there's, and, and now it used to be like, again, going analog versus digital. When I started, you know, my, I would get a call from my agent and then I would have to drive down there and there'd be, and if I didn't get there before they closed, there'd be a box sitting at the door with everybody's sides with your name on them. And you would have to go get your sides, right? Your sides for the audition. And, and then the location was in there or whatever. You'd have to go get that. Or if you're big, they'd have like a messenger service come to you. Now, obviously it's done on all the internet. I print up my own sides, right? <laughs> but, but also so they only and they would they would get the submissions at the beginning of the day with your headshot and your resume. They maybe get three hundred submissions in a day. Now they get three thousand because of, because of the digital. So the question is, are you even getting seen in that overwhelm? Who you know, even if they have an assistant or two, who can look at three thousand submissions in a day and make a decision who comes in and who comes out? So there's it's there's just too much information out there now. But that's the age we live in. So. And then it comes down to does your manager or agent have a good good relationship with that casting director, or do you have a good relationship with that casting director such that you get closer to the top of the list? Because they, they're not going to be able to see, they're not, you know, they're not going to see 300 people in a day for a role. They're going to see 30, 60, you know. So you got to go from used to be from 300 to that list. Now it's 3,000 to that list. So it's it's just you know the digital age has changed the way we work, and now we're not you know, after COVID. We're not going into auditions at all you know and I could see the writing on the wall even before COVID it was like I'd be going into an audition in LA 
drive over the slog over the 405 and there'd be nobody in the room, but you know, not to take offense, I don't know how old you are, but some 20 something year old kid in the room taping me, trying to give me direction, no casting director in the room, no producer, no director. And I'm like, wait a minute, if, if it's coming to this now, like I don't need to be here, you know, like, why am I here? So I was like, well, you know, I think that the taping thing is going to become the, the new thing. And if I'm out of town, say working in the Southeast or whatever, then they'll just take tapes. And then after COVID now, no, nobody's going in on auditions. The only thing that's starting to go in auditions now is commercials are starting to do in-person auditions again, which honestly, I, I could give a rat's ass about. <laughs> Not my thing. Yeah, no, it's, I think that's definitely something that will stay post COVID. Like once COVID is completely done, I think, virtual auditions will still be a thing because really if you think about it it's just so much easier to set up a phone and a you, you can get a, a pretty cheap light for good lighting if you need that and you just submit it rather than driving across town to now, talk and do a camera for 10 a, seconds i haven't had a zoom audition callback yet though i know i know people who have and book jobs that way i'll kind of be curious what that experience is like because you know, in the room, there's a lot of pressure because you're sort of expected to get it right the first time. And when you've just had material for, you know, six hours, eight hours, you know, they call it a cold reading. You're not completely set. Uh, it's a lot of pressure. Doing self-tapes, I, I prefer it because, you know, I could do two, three takes. Don't get it right. The first, I, I'll do, that's usually the most I'll do. If I don't get it right by the third one, I'm like, that's as good as it's going to get. You know, pretty much how it would be on a movie set. You know, you know a low-budget set or a television you're not the star. You're getting three takes tops. So if I can't deliver in three, I'm not doing my job anyway. So, right. but I prefer it. It's a lot less pressure knowing that I don't have to get it all perfect the first time. It was a, it's a lot of, for me anyway, I can't speak about other actors, but for me, I can, I can just tell you, it's a lot of pressure to walk in those rooms and try to deliver. It's not easy. Oh, I'm sure. Cause all eyes are focused directly on you. Well, everybody else has a job. All right. You know, so, so the first thing when you, when you put an actor in for a role, you know, it's called it's called a submission. <laughs> so already it's like not a strong position. You come in the room. Everybody else has a job. But you you're the only one trying to get a job so that to take the power in that room is not easy. Um, and the only way I know how to get it is to get into the work, like make the work bigger than my nerves and considerations, you know. Right. And if you pull that off, you know, you can get their attention. For sure. Again, that's another way that I don't envy actors because I would probably just, I'd crack like an egg if I were in that situation. That's why I work behind the camera. I've fallen on my face in auditions many times, but but I also know that, you know, I'm a very good cold reader. I wouldn't have been able to have the career I've had. It's not, it's not like, you know, I'm on like a, you know, A-list level, like a Sean Penn or something back, you know, where there's like six scripts at his, on his bedside that he has to read and choose one. That's a different set of problems. Now right. I have had offers and I do do offers and, and thankfully the, you know, as long as I've been around that happens too, but I do, you know, to, to pay the bills, I've had to audition for a lot of my, my work. And if I wasn't good at it and I only get maybe 30 auditions a year, which means if I'm averaging one out of 10, that means I'm doing three jobs a year. Right. I know guys who are like, you know, more leading men or, or more, they'll get a hundred auditions a year. Now they have more competition too. I'm not right for everything. I'm not the easiest sell. So I got to be good when, when something comes my way that I'm actually right for, I got to be good enough to get those jobs. And that's, that's how I've, and I can usually smell when one's that I'm getting, it's like, okay, that is in my wheelhouse, you know? Yeah. So, you know, that's, 
that's how I've, that's how I've been able to do it. No, that's fantastic. Well, there are two specific films that I would like to to ask you about before we start to wrap up our conversation. Sure. You you were in to what to me is one of my top five favorite movies, and to me one of the best movies ever made, Back to the Future. How was your time working on set of that? Well, it was you know, it was great, but I you know none of us knew it was going to be as big as it it, it became. But uh, you know the, the story I tell is because it, talk about residual income making a difference in my life. I was only supposed to do like three days in that job. But, but I'd already gotten, I'd already done a day on it and they already dropped what they call a drop pick you up. So from that point on, if they bring me back, I'm on payroll. So I was around when Eric Stoltz got let go. So that was like a five week turnaround in production. They would reshoot everything. And of course they were scrambling and they forgot I was on payroll. So I ended up getting paid for like five weeks, you know? And, oh, wow. Uh, so it was a real blessing. And being that it's gone on to be, you know, top trilogy of all time, uh, you know, those, again, those residual checks have, have, have saved my ass more than once. So thank you back to the future, you know? Um, so that's really the prime experience <laughs> for me on that project. What's the other one? Uh, so this is one of my fiance's favorite movies. And you mentioned certain films that you were in or on TV all the time. One of them is Sweet Home Alabama. So back to the future and Sweet Home Alabama are the two that are yeah. on TV. Yeah, and I, I can vouch I see it on YouTube TV either during the weekend or like on a random Thursday or a Friday. It will be on some random channel somewhere. Yep. So how, how was your experience making that? Well, that was great. Uh, that was actually shot in Atlanta and around it, it, the, you know, the greater area of Atlanta. Um, well, number one, uh, Josh Lucas uh, was a former student. I did, trained him a bit up in Oregon, so had a friendship with him already. So that was great. Getting to reunite with Patrick Dempsey again was also good. You know, as adults, that was good to, to catch up, you know, from where, you know, we did Can't Buy Me Love together and also a Disney project. So I, I, had a, I said, look, you, me, Disney, and another another title track song, you know, Can't Buy Me Love, Suit on Alabama. I said, you're about to blow up again. And sure, he <laughs> did. It's exactly what happened. Um, so uh, so it was it was a really good experience. And, uh, I, you know, it had been a while since I had a theatrical release film. And it had been a while since I'd been in something that big that was a comedy. Um, just to give a little backstory, just career decision making. Uh, so I in the 90s, my run was I, I, had, I, I needed, you know, I had to play 30 year old characters. and I looked younger. I grew my hair out and, and a goatee and I played a lot of Mad Dogs. And that's pretty much if you look at my TV run of guest stars in the nineties. That's what I did. And it was at the end of that. And I was like, this is played out, but I knew my team would not be into it. Cause it was easy, low hanging fruit, getting me those jobs. So I didn't ask them. I cut all my hair off and shot new pictures and they were none too happy with me. And I said, well, I'm not doing any more mad dogs. So, but basically I drew a line in the sand. And I didn't work for like a year. And uh, cause I wouldn't, I wouldn't go up for the bad guys and stuff that they wanted me to do. In the process, I auditioned for that movie, I Am Sam, that Sean Penn movie for his mentally challenged partner, friends. I didn't get it, but they loved the new look with the hair. They were the ones who called me in to play the, for the sheriff audition in Sweden, Alabama, not my team. So I booked that, which they didn't think I could get. And I came back and I booked a TV show playing a cop. And they just like didn't they couldn't get their head around what I had accomplished, you know, and so I had to let them go. I was just like, I went two for two on things you said I can't do. So, and I made you more money. It's a the theatrical release, big film, like get on board. They, so I was like, well, I got a big film coming out. That's the time to get a new agent. You know, that's the time to use some leverage and get something. So I, that really changed the game for me in the two thousands was having a big film like that. Come out. People were like, oh yeah, he does. He can do comedy. Oh yeah. Sheriff. 
you know, so it opened, it opened a whole new series of doors because they always pretty much remember whatever the last thing is that's in their face, you know, especially if it has some success. And that was, I don't know if it still is, but at the time it was the biggest grossing film in February. It was, you know, came out during, you know, like February 14th or whatever. So it was, it was the biggest romantic comedy of, in, in February at that point. Pretty, pretty, pretty successful, you know? Well, I can say as someone who grew up in the South, you know, I can remember when that movie came out in theaters and that was one that everyone in this area was like, oh, have you seen this movie? Have you seen this movie? You know, and we'd talk about specific things about it. So, I mean, Reese, it, Reese Witherspoon was already a big name and, you know, yeah. it's only gone on to do even more incredible things. I mean, she's, she's a talent, you know, she's the kind of talent that makes me jealous. She can just turn it on and off like a light switch. She makes it look easy. Stone cold pro, man. Yeah, no, she's, she's fantastic. But uh, as we start to wrap up here, I did want to ask you about uh, your newest film, uh, Queen Bees. So uh, how was your experience making that? Well, so it was good. Uh, that was also shot out in Atlanta, by the way. Um, nice. A couple of years ago. So uh, Michael Lembeck, the director, I already knew him because his sister, Helene, and he teach a class called the uh, uh, Harvey Lembeck Comedy Workshop that their father taught for years, starting back in like the 70s. And he sent, he had a very prolific career in the 50s 60s and 70s and uh so i did that class for two years that was a humbling class for me and it helped really get my comedy chops up to a place they weren't um but when i heard he was doing the project i let him know that you know um i'm out here sometimes and uh in the southeast and so we worked it out i was able to do this part and it wasn't a big part it was only a cameo but i got to work with ellen bernstein Anne margaret jane Curtin, and loretta divine i wasn't passing that up you know, that was that was the experience getting to work and with and watch those ladies work. The first half of the scene, my character's just watching them. And I'm, a, you know, I'm a student of the game in terms of techniques and things like that. And, you know, Ellen Bernstein is well known actor, studio type actress method, you know, so watching her technique or someone like Jane Curtin and original Saturday Night Live is comedic timing that you can't buy. You can't teach, you know, to watch that was those they were all great in their own right and how they all worked together was was for me very cool you know so and then it was fun when it finally you know turned to me and i got to work with them now i had a ball so i was honestly i was surprised my scene made the trailer you know so it's all been good you know um but might as well tell you everything else that's happening because there's a but it's like the, there was a bunch of projects i did the last couple of years they're all now coming out because i guess covid's over i guess right. So, uh, so sweet. Uh, so Queen Bees has been out for a couple weeks now. I have another uh, independent uh, movie called River that's a, a sci-fi, but more like thriller, not like uh, in space, very indie movie. That's coming out on, uh, that's coming out tomorrow, July 13th. So I'm excited about that. And then another movie I did in the Southeast called Charming the Hearts of Men is coming out August 13th. And that movie was set in the 50s. Um, so, so, and on the movie, another movie I did a horror film called Await the Dawn just came out on Amazon Prime last week. So it's like all of a sudden, all this stuff's just coming out. So it's, you know, you, you do them, you can't wait, you know, you're always like, when are they going to come out? So all of a sudden it's like, it's raining Courtney Gaines movies. So that's, that's cool. Yeah. That's something we're going to see for the next several months with all these I movies that were pushed back due to COVID. You, know, yeah. you look at all these big theatrical releases. You just you've got one after another now that they're starting to now to roll out and everything. And all that. Exactly. Oh, and then I want to talk about music real quick. Just yeah, before yeah. We get out of here. So I have a solo record out right now called Acoustic Gains Volume One, and the third single, Let It Ride, just dropped last week. So very vintage bluesy stuff, all acoustic. And uh, so you know, if you're like, hey, 
can that guy do music? Give me three minutes and we'll, you can tell me, you know, I know a lot of, I know a lot of actors, you know, stink and uh, you know, all I'm asking for is three minutes of your time. You let me know, um, but you, you know, Spotify and Amazon and iTunes and all that. You can find, find my, find my stuff. Awesome. Yeah. I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely check it out. Cause I've got to drive back to work right after this. So give me something to listen to on the way back. <laughs> I wasn't just saying you personally, I'm just saying anybody watching this. Yeah. Thing, yeah. But I would yeah, love sure. to hear what you think you can, you can, you know, best way to find me is on Facebook. I do have an Instagram, a Facebook. If you want to leave a message there, I'll get it. So, uh, those, those are my socials. See, I covered it all for you, man. Yeah, absolutely. That's like, I didn't even have to ask. <laughs> my first rodeo. Yeah. Uh, one last question before we get out of here. I always like sure. to end the conversations with this. What is one piece of advice that you could give to an aspiring actor? Yeah. And that's a great question. Uh, I'm a, I might end up being more than one piece, but the first thing I always say is, you know, there's a saying doors will open easy the first time, but if you don't deliver, they won't open easy the second time. Right. And that there's a lot of truth to that in this business. And I'll give you an example. Um, so I like to show my name as Earl and I ended up, ended up doing one of my best guest stars in that show. Well, I auditioned for that show for four seasons till I booked something. So it wasn't like it happened overnight. It was like, I kept going back and I kept going back and I ended up getting the best role that I auditioned for, but literally four years, you know, four seasons. Um, and, and, and some actors get bent out after a not getting picked a couple of times. It's like, well, what do you want? How come you haven't picked me? Well, that pretty much is going to kill you going back to see them ever again. It's not the right attitude. The attitude is they must like me. They keep bringing me back. So you got to keep showing up too. You got to keep doing good work and they'll keep bringing you back. So that's the kind of per we talk about perseverance. That's the kind of stuff it takes to get jobs, you know? And if you can get one, two, three casting directors to believe in you, you can work. And that's what, it, that's also what it takes. It takes getting some, getting a few gatekeepers that become fans because those people will try to get you work. They'll bring you to the, they'll bring you to the door. They'll bring you to the producers and they'll bring you to the directors and go, I like this guy. See what he does. We want to get him something that makes all the difference. And, and that only again comes from showing up and doing good work, making fans out of people. I know a lot of actor friends that will love to hear that little soundbite that you just said. That was fantastic. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. Well, Courtney, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. This was great. Pleasure. Great talking to you. Thanks again to Courtney Gaines for that awesome conversation. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Be sure to follow him on social media to find out what he'll be up to next. For next week's show, I'll be chatting with Robert Conway and Eva Hamilton. They'll be on the show to talk about their latest film, Skin Crawler, which is a horror Western film. I can't wait to watch it. And I can't wait to talk about it. So hopefully you guys come back next week for that really fun episode. But until then, you can check out past episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts, as well as YouTube. If you prefer the video version, just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. You can also follow me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. I'm also on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Be sure to sign up for that so you get early access to episodes. You get to vote on show topics, including the monthly top five list, the new watch-alongs that I'm going to start doing this month. You also get access to film scripts and 
whatever else I decide to add to the Patreon, so you can head over to Patreon for that. And of course, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. Be sure to check out their brand new album, Call for a Good Time. You can find that on Spotify, anywhere you get your music, and be sure to follow them on social media. They've been posting some really fun stuff lately. But that's going to do it for this week's show, so enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday. Thursday.